Why don't we pray? Jesus, Lord, we just come before you right now. Lord, let your words come through this morning. Lord, help me get out of the way so that you can say what you want to say here this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just ask that whatever it is you want to say, let those things burn in our hearts. And whatever it is that man's put in, whatever it is we try and do to have our own agenda made, fall to the floor, Lord, but let your will be done here this morning. Lord, we love you, we honor you. And, and I'm so honored, Jesus, that we get to, to keep reading from your word, to keep learning and growing in you. So thank you that we can keep doing this. Thank you that we can keep learning from your word and understanding more and more of who you are. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right. I've got to tell you, I've got a little confession to make. With going through Jeremiah, I have been on there flying by the seat of my pants. Each week when I finish from this barrel, I go and say, Lord, Please, can I stop preaching from Jeremiah? Please, where do I go from here? Every week when I finish, I don't have a plan. I don't have this map down in my head that I'm going through. I, I, I'm literally, and I, most of you know this, I don't like to do this. Josh and I wrestle all the time because I like to be planned. I like to know where I'm going. I like A to B to C. But this has been just a mess. And I think God's teaching me something in that. But I was, I was praying during the week. And I was just asking God, where do I go from this? Where do I go from that verse that we've been in? And I felt God say to me, the answer's in the last verse of Jeremiah. So excited in my spirit, I'm like, yes. This is going to be an easy, nice preach. Get out of it. Not remembering how Jeremiah ends, I turned to the back of the book. And it finishes in a way that I, I read it and I said, God, what in the world are you trying to do with us? This is not exciting and uplifting. This doesn't make me want to put my boots on and go for a run. And as I started reading it, God just started downloading more and more to me. So if you've got a Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 52 for me. I'm only going to read from verse 31 to 34, but I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. So Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 31, before this all has taken place, Judah has been taken by the Babylonians. They've gone into the exile into Babylon. They've gone into the place that was seemingly away from God, into a place that was filled with, with worldly substance and, and the things of the world. It was a place that was far from God. So the people are there and the king, King Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, has gone with them. He too was in, in prison, being locked up by the by the people of Babylon. And it says this from verse 31. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the king's who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death as long as he lived. That's how Jeremiah finishes. That's the end of the book. You turn over, there's no more on that. 
Now, obviously, as we read through, we start to find out more and more about what takes place with Judah and what takes place in, in Babylon and what God does, and that gets developed. But Jeremiah the prophet ends his writing here. And I was looking at this and I thought, Lord, what, what are you saying to us? And, and often as God reveals these things that we see in the Old Testament and he brings it to us contemporarily, he brings it to us now to understand what it is that's actually taking place in the scriptures there. And as I read this again and again, asking Lord to reveal something, my heart started to break because the king of Babylon knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was going to entice the king of Judah into a place where he would stay in prison forever, even though it looked good. So the king of Babylon in this picture we understand is the world, is the things of evil, the, the, the darkness, the things that God is, is, is fighting against, that the kingdom of light is fighting against. And the, the, the king of Babylon, he says to the king of Judah, the one who knew God, come with me, come out of that place of imprisonment and come and live with me. And he takes him and he shows him all these shiny things. He reveals all these things to him that he has. And he says, I will give you all of this and you stay with me forever. So while the people, of, the people of Judah were rotting in prison, the king, who was supposed to lead their people out, had been enticed by the things of the world to stay with the king of Babylon. To stay in a place where he says, these things will get you through. This will be the good stuff. This is what he offers him. He spoke kindly to him. He used language that he liked. He, he spoke as if he was a friend. He gave him a seat above the kings. He exalted him into a high place. You can have all that you see. He took off his prison garments. He said, you're no longer a prisoner. You're now a freed person. He dined regularly with the king, a friend, a compadre, a, a helper. And he allowed him his daily needs. He gave him everything he ever needed. Now you can, you can put that into place with whatever you want. Finances, food, friendship, somewhere to sleep at night. He gave him everything he needed. He made the place of Babylon extraordinarily comfortable. And he said, you're free. As I was reading this, God highlights to me that this is exactly what the enemy did to Jesus. This is exactly what Satan did when he took him into the wilderness. Flip forward to Matthew chapter 4 for me. First book in the New Testament. A little bit of a heads up there if you're not sure. Helping you out. Sometimes I get lost in there. Matthew 4, chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says... Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God, your, sorry, you not, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. Sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God and him, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. These are the same things that the enemy had used earlier to uphold King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, to stay in the place of exile. He used the same trick on Jesus. He brought Jesus to a place and he said, do you want these things, all these things that I offer you, food to eat? He offered Jesus something to eat, something that he didn't think that he had, just as, as the, the king of Babylon had offered to King Jehoiakim. And, and he said, come and dine at my table regularly. Satan offers Jesus his well-being, his health, so he won't be sick, so that he won't be hurt, he won't be tormented. He did the same thing to King Jehoiakim when he said, come, and, and he spoke kindly and he gave him all the things that he needed daily. And then the final one is he says, you can have everything in the earth, just worship me. He said that to Jesus. You can have everything in the earth, just worship me. He did the same thing with King Jehoiakim when he said, I'll put you above the kings, you will rule above the kings. Do you think that in those two examples, Old Testament, New Testament, that Satan has any new tricks for us today? Anything different that he's trying to do? He's trying to remove us from a plan and a pattern that he's given to us by enticing us into the things of Babylon, into the things of the world to say, you don't need what Jesus has for you. You don't need the things that he's got because I've got everything that will make you through. He brings you to a place that's comfortable. He brings you to a place where you think that you are right where you need to be. And that's where he begins to trade and keep you locked in the place of Babylon. You don't need what Jesus has because I've got everything for you right here. Here it is. Here's your money. Here's your wealth. Here's your, here's your comfortable mornings, your comfortable afternoons. Here's a nice cushy job. It's all going to be okay for you. And for so long, leading up to where we are now, we have been caught in Babylon with the things that we've been just taking from the enemy. I feel comfortable and I feel good. So long as my stuff is okay, I'll continue to worship you, God. But we've been enticed into a false freedom. We've been living in a freedom that's not real. Because when I look at the scriptures, I see disciple after disciple after disciple living in a place, striving for the gospel, striving for the kingdom of God, living in a place of constant difficulty to bring about who he is because they knew from the very beginning that they were in a battle. They knew they were fighting. They knew they were going to be wrestling. They put their armor on and they went to war. What we've done is we've taken our prison clothes off and we've sat with the king of Babylon with the things that he's been giving to us. But God is calling his people out. He's saying, come, come and put on your armor once again. Let's go to war. Let's go to battle. We're not going to defeat the things that he's trying to fight against us with our prison clothes off and our nice, comfortable Babylonian clothes on. We have to be willing to say, God, I will be uncomfortable for you. I will be uncomfortable for whatever it is you want me to do. Whatever it looks like, God, I will strive for you. The enemy's using the same tricks on us today. We work extremely long hours to put food on our table. 
We use the fact that we're not, we're not feeling good or we're, we're not well or we don't feel okay or we're tired or we're beat. And we have this desire to accumulate stuff, to bring ourselves to a place, the best in my job, to rule and reign over the kings of this earth, to bring things in that we want so that we can be in the place that we think we need to get. But all of that falls away when we rely on him. But I tell you something, it's not easy to rely on him. But the reason it's like that is because he keeps enticing us into more of him. He keeps enticing us into more of him and more of him and more of him. That we never ever get satisfied because we we just can't because he's so big that we're always hungering and thirsting for him. Psalm says, as a deer pants for water, as a deer pants for water, if I don't get this, I'm going to die. That's, Lord, how I pant for you. That's how I desire you and I desire your heart. My prayer every morning as I drive down this street for, for this house and the, and the other two houses that meet is, Lord, reveal more of you today to us. I don't care what the service looks like. I don't care how many people show up. I just want to see you more today. Lord, and I hope that their heart is the same. It doesn't matter what verse I'm preaching out of. It doesn't matter what it looks like. God, I just want to see you a bit more today. That's my prayer every morning. God, today, use me how you want to use me. And please, let me see a little bit more of you. Let me see just a little bit more. Because you are so worthy. You are so good and you are so big. And I will never, ever stop chasing you. That's my prayer. Because I feel like we get into this place where the king of Babylon is enticing and enticing and enticing. You don't need this. You need what I have for you. You don't need to to gather together because what I've got for you is better over here. You don't need to pray because what I've got for you is better over here. You don't need to do this because what I've got is better for you over here. And all the time we take off our prison clothes and we join his imprisoned campment. But what, what Paul did when he laid in that prison cell, when he began to worship, when he said, I don't care where I am, God, I give it to you. What happened? The cell doors broke off. That was real freedom. That was the reality of freedom in Christ. Not a fake enticed freedom with the king of Babylon. Not a place where he leads us that is broken and lost. I've preached about this before, but there's a thing called the Stockholm Syndrome. And it comes from a a place in Stockholm where there was a bank robbery. And the police came in to, 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 uh, sorry, the, the, the bank robber took hostages within the bank. And he was robbing the bank. But he was so nice and so friendly to the hostages that they actually began to like the bank robber. And they were in there for, for a few days. And they actually became really good friends with the bank robber, that finally when the police came in to, to take the bank robber out under custody, they all had to, um, had to give evidence to convict the bank robber. But they all gave evidence in his favor because he was such a nice guy. So the bank robber actually got off because he was so awesome and so friendly that even though he had a gun and he was holding them captive, they were like, he's a pretty good guy. He's a, he's a good guy, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, he did put a gun in my face and try and steal all the money, but he was nice about it. They became, they became friends with their captor. They became comfortable with the place that they were in, that they forgot that they were hostages and they thought they were friends. 
We see the same thing happen when Samson comes to save Judah in Judges. Judges chapter 15, 9 to 13. You don't have to go there. I'll just quickly read it. It says, in the Philippines, sorry, the Philippines, the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah. Why were the, Phil- why were the Philippines there? I don't know, but they were. <laughs> I don't know what Bible you guys are reading, but... Uh, the Philistines. Then the Philistines came up and they camped in Judah and they made a raid on Le- Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock to Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know, Samson, that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, so that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we... Oh, sorry, I missed the line. We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you over to their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him in front of the rock. The Philistines had, had held captive Judah. Judah was in the, 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 the captive of the Philistines. God sends Samson to take his people out. And when he gets there, he goes in to attack the Philistines. And, and the people of God say, what are you doing? We are comfortable here. They don't hurt us that much. Yeah, we get our little bit of freedom. We get our time out in the sun. We get the little bit. Don't wreck that for us. Rather, you go... Rather you go and let us stay in our little place of captive because it's safe here. Because they realized that if Samson came against the Philistines, they would have to fight to get themselves out of the place they were in. But they didn't want to do that. We are in the same place today. God is calling us in to say, I'm ready to take you out. And we go, Lord, we're pretty comfortable here. We're pretty cozy where we're at. Because we know that if we follow where God's leading us, we've got to put armor on and we've got to go to war. We've got to go and fight back the things of darkness. We've got to set aside the things that the comfortable things we have in our life. We've got to go to our knees and pray. We've got to bring ourselves before Him. We've got to fast. We've got to lift our hands in worship. These things that we have to go and do, we're saying, actually, it's more comfortable here, Lord. Just leave us with the Philistines. Just leave us with the king of Babylon. It's easier here. But God is calling us out. He's saying, come. Come with me. I know I'm punching through some scripture, but I'm trying to to give us an understanding and a foundation that's, that's biblically rounded so that if you walk away and go, I don't like what Ben said, you have to go back to the scripture because the scripture said it. I didn't say it. I got it from here, so you have to wrestle with it from here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 11 to 18 says this. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, 
And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fled you in the wilderness with manna, sorry, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not, did not know, that he might humble you and test you to, to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and might and my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is today. The reason that I say when we come into worship and I try to lead us to a place of letting everything go is because it's all His. That when you came into Christ, when you gave your life, you did exactly that. You gave your life. You give it to Him. This verse is saying, don't forget who I am, the Lord your God. That's an encouraging thing for us. That shouldn't be something that makes us feel upset. Why? Because His ways are better than our ways. So when we come and say, God, it's all yours. My business, it's yours. My work, it's yours. My finances, my family, my marriage, it's all yours. Why? Because His ways are better than ours. So I give it to Him. And I remember that he was the one who first gave it to me. So every step that I take, every time I open my mouth, God, I'm so thankful for who you are and what you've given me. Why? Because I wouldn't be anywhere without it. I might have all the gold in the world. I might have all the riches, all the flocks. But Lord, without you, it's all worth nothing. Without you, it withers and rusts. And I get to use it for a hundred years and it's all done. But Lord, with you, with you it all makes more sense it's all so much better it's all so much bigger I got the privilege during the week to minister to some leaders from India who lead churches all the way up and down India and my friend which I'm going to get him to make a video so that he can he can show us where what he's been doing and where he's been at. But Jiva, my friend, said, he said, Ben, would you come and speak? And instantly I felt in my spirit, yes, I need to. But I, I said, Jiva, and say what? what? What do you want me to share? So all week I was struggling and struggling and struggling. God, I don't know how to help these guys. I don't know how to share anything. And we get on the on the Zoom and there's 20, 25 leaders, and Jiva asked them all to go around and explain where they're from. And my heart was like in my throat the whole time. These guys, can I tell you, our problems are small to nothing. One of these guys leads a church rescuing kids out of the slums of Africa. Oh, sorry, the slums of India. He goes waist deep into the slums to save kids, to bring them out. And you know what he gets for it? Jeeva was just telling me, he said, this guy has just recently come from the police station where they beat him close to death for being a Christian. They nearly killed him, the Hindus, because he was a Christian. Do you know what he did? He went home, he pulled himself together, he went back to the slums to save kids. And then Jeeva goes, okay, Ben, what do you got to share with us? 
have to drive two minutes in an air-conditioned car? Guys, this thing that we're doing, this thing that God's asking us to do, we have our own problems. We do. The West has its own problems. We have our own issues. We have our own things that the people, we are spiritually dull in this country. I understand. We have a fight. But my goodness. My goodness. God leads me to James. So I'm now speaking to these people and God leads me to James. And the verse in James says, count it all joy. I said to them, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but James did. They beat James close to death often for his faith. In the end, they beat him so bad that they removed his head. He understands, and his words to us were counted all joy, brothers. Every storm you go through, every fight you go through, why? Because he's king and he's Lord, and he's the one we're fighting for. And at the end of all this, he's got a place for you. But right now, he's king and he's Lord, and I count all joy in my heart to worship him. Now, I closed the computer I just felt in my heart, God, thank you that we still get to read your word, that we still get to hear from us. You still speak to us. You still love us. You still pour out on us. That wasn't the part that I was going to tell you. That wasn't the story because something else happened in that chat that, that led me to what I was going to finish with this morning. I opened for questions. I said, look, I don't know if I can answer them, but ask any questions. And this small man, this, this tiny Indian man, he put his hand up on the thing and and he said, Ben, you talked about good news. And I said, yeah. And he said, when there's so much evil around, there's so much bad, what is the good news that you speak about? And I stopped for a moment and I thought, this guy leads a church. He knows Jesus. He's preached about Jesus many, many times. But right now in the place that he's at, the things that are in front of him, he's struggling to see who it is that Jesus is, just like we all go through, just like we all get to that place. And right in my heart, right there, God dropped this, this into my heart. This was the only way I could answer his question. So if you've got a Bible, go to John 4 for me. Ben, with all this bad that's happening, how, what is this good news that you speak of? This is where God took me. John 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samarian woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samarians. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. As did his son, sons and his livestock, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never ever be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who know Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That is the good news. That is everything that we base our lives on right now. That is everything that we can understand as Christians. That Jesus came to bring us back into him, to bring us back into a place where we will never ever thirst again that the water that he gives us does not fade away and become worth nothing like the king of babylon and the things that he offers that this water that he gives us is forever that this water that he gives us allows us to bask in who he is and never ever ever thirst again i love that that, that the woman says to him but you're telling me i have to go to jerusalem to worship from the place in Jerusalem. And she says, truly I tell you, everyone will be able to worship when I've done what I came to do. Everyone will get to step into the place that I've promised when I finish what I've come here to do. He was saying to her that once I go and die on that cross and I rise again and I ascend to be with my Father and that veil gets torn, every single man and woman will be given the freedom to come in and be with me face to face. You will get that opportunity as well. We get the opportunity to do this again and again and again and again, to come before Him, to be with Him, to spend time with Him, to be able to see His face because of what Jesus highlights right here. But every time, every time that we get enticed by the King of Babylon and we take what He wants us to take, we don't get that opportunity to spend that with the Father, to spend that with God. Every time I start pressing in, more and more with God, more things start to pop up. More enticements start to arise. More things start to take settlement in my life. Hey, Ben, do you want this? More things start to take place. Why? Because the king of Babylon's trying to entice me out into his freedom, which is not the freedom God's calling me into. And God's saying, just keep coming. 
Just keep coming. Just keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. And every time I, spare, I, I, I delve in deeper, those things start to go more and more dull. And I do, delve in deeper, those things start to go more and more dull. The things of the world go strangely dim when I start to walk more and more toward Him. But then often there's times where I find out, flip, I didn't realize this, but I'd given myself over to the king of Babylon. I was enticed by the things, so now I need to let all that go and God come back to you. Let all that go, Lord, and come back to you. Jesus is the living water. He's the one in which we need to seek. He's the one in which leads us into all truth. It's Him, not some guru or some idea. It's Jesus. When we seek Jesus, the revelation of Him reveals how we are all to move forward. Louis, can you just put a pad on? I just want to offer a moment for us to do some ministry in a second. Before I finish and just, I want to offer the opportunity to pray for people. Before I finish, I, I just, I want to say this. I want to make a promise to you that Jess and I want to give ourselves in everything that we do to God. Yeah, just turn it down a bit, please, guys. Yeah, it's good. We want to give ourselves in everything that we do to God. To my heart and vision for this house and for everyone who calls this place home is to seek after Jesus. Now, I can't tell you what that's going to look like in six months to a year. I can't tell you what that looks like even tomorrow. But I know that, that that's our goal, is to find Him is to seek Him, to have Him change our lives. And I know what you're saying, but I've already found Him. Yeah, I know that. We've been saved. I understand that. But what we want to do is continue to walk, ourselves included, into how I take step after step after step in His direction, in the plan and the purpose that He's asked for us. While I was writing this, I, I, I asked God, what's the plan forward? What's the vision forward? How do we go where we're going? And I didn't get anything at all other than just follow me. But the difficulty with that is that I don't know what it looks like in six months from now. I don't know what it looks like tomorrow. I don't know if it looks like we stay here or we move somewhere else or we change the day or everything stays as it is or we, we don't preach for six weeks, we just come and lay on the floor or maybe we just preach for six weeks. I don't know what it looks like. But this is what I do know, that Jess and I vow to not stop chasing him and bringing you with us because that's what God's asked us to do. That's all I've got to say about that. But this is what I want us to do. I want to offer a time for us to come and do business with God. If there's something in your life that you feel I am stagnating in and I don't know how to get out of it, if there is something that you feel I I just don't know how to move forward in this. I just don't know what it is God wants me. I want you to, in a moment to come to the front and one of the guys or gals will pray for you. But what I want us to do 
in a moment is just come to God and say, Lord, I don't have the answers out, but I'm willing to walk with you if you'll lead me. That's all we can do is to say, God, I don't know how to get out of the rut I'm in. I don't know how to leave the courts of Babylon. I don't know how to stop being enticed by the king. And this is the thing that's rocking my world. But Lord, I trust you to take me out. So why don't we stand?